Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Our guest today, my good friend Tina Ramirez, founder and president of Hardwired Global, on the web at hardwiredglobal.org. Tina, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Alan. It's great to be with you all again. Well, I'm really excited for what you guys are doing with this journey for freedom, but uh, I think the way to introduce it is to talk about next year as the 70th anniversary of the United Nations Universal Declaration on Human Rights. Why is the Universal Declaration so important? Well, you're right. Next year is a really big year for the anniversary of the UDHR. The people that that helped write it at the United Nations back in 1947-48 when the UN was being founded uh, included Charles Malik, a Christian from Lebanon, an Arab Christian, and René Kassan, a Jewish man from France. And what was great about this is that, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt was very involved with the writing of the UDHR as well. So the uh, American delegation had a very significant kind of stamp on it. But this was the first universal statement of what human rights individuals have. And it was uh, something that wasn't Western. It came from, you know, people from the Arab world, from Europe, from Asia, from all over. And it really signified a change in how really the international community was going to allow people to be treated by their governments. And so every member that has joined the United Nations is basically um, obligated to this declaration as part of its charter. And um, it really sets a very high bar for the most basic human rights that individuals have around the world and how they should be treated. You know, it wasn't until you and I were discussing this that I really came to grasp that, you know, before the Holocaust, there was no human rights was not a thing in global diplomacy, in international relations. It just wasn't on the table. But after the horrors of the Holocaust, the nations of the world sat down and agreed on some basic principles of human rights that have completely transformed international law, haven't they? Right, absolutely. I mean, if you just think of, um, I mean, before that, they had little things on humanitarian law and how you should, the rules of warfare. But, but really, until the Holocaust, there wasn't anything. And I remember um, just reading the trial at Nuremberg where they were sentencing the some of the Nazi um, survivors that had um, Nazis, you know, that, that were still around. And the Nazis tried to claim that they had changed their law, that everything that they did was perfectly legal and justified. And the, the justices said, no, there's a law above the law. Basically, something shocks the conscience of mankind. It's There's no defense for that. And that's really what the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is all about. It's about the fact that there is a law above the law that every human being, every government is accountable to. And, um, you know, living up to those standards is another thing. But the fact that the Universal Declaration was established in 1948 um, and set a tone for what the United Nations would stand for is really important in, in how we look at situations around the world and human dignity and how we can really live to uphold it. 
You know, I, I think about how human rights has been a focus of foreign policy and diplomacy over the years, and sometimes, you know, our nation puts a stronger emphasis on it. And then there's times like after Abu Ghraib, when our own abuses uh, became public, that other nations take that as a signal that, well, you can't say anything to us, you're a big hypocrite, and, uh, you know, justify their own human rights abuses. But whether in, you know, in a positive way or even in a breach, this whole concept of human rights is still a powerful force hanging over global relations, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. So hardwired global works in many countries around the world. I've personally been to over 30. And in every country where we're at, where there are significant human rights abuses, and in particular, the issues that we look at are violations of freedom of religion or belief, we see that locals, either they're completely unaware of their human rights, and when they realize that they have them, they ask, why didn't I know this sooner? Or they're aware of them, and they're they're asking for tools to help gain, um, to gain access to their rights, to gain, um, you know, accountability for their governments. And so that's what we're helping them to do. But, but this universal standard has transformed the way that we can even work internationally because now, regardless of whether the people know their rights or not, their governments are still accountable to, to the UDHR because it's part of the UN charter. It's part of their commitment to, you know, be a part of this club at the UN. Well, to be part of the global community, period. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They can't say, oh, no, those are not our values. Those are just your values, Europe or America. No, this is universal. It's universal. And and it was unanimously approved at the UN. It was, I mean, so it's, yeah, it's it's really a standard. And I love that just in the preamble to the Universal Declaration, it talks about the inherent dignity and equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family family as being the foundation for freedom, justice, and peace in the world. But it really, the preamble is great because it really just recognizes these are inherent human rights. They are nothing that the government gives you. They are inherent in your humanity. And um, that's something that I think a lot of governments often forget. (laughs) So. So now, Hardwired Global, you know, you have always been thinking about how to engage, especially young people, millennials, you know, people in the social media realm, how to get people involved in understanding, caring about, and um, doing something with respect to persecution and refugee issues around the globe, human rights abuses. Tell us about this journey for freedom that Hardwired Global is encouraging people to participate in here in the lead-up to the celebration in December of 2018 of the actual 70th anniversary. Well, we want to do something to celebrate the 70th anniversary, as you mentioned, and it's really important that the people understand all of the human rights in the Declaration, but in particular, there is one that I think overlooked or overshadowed in many ways in our foreign policy and just around the world. Even if you look on the UN website, it talks about freedom of um, belief, but it doesn't really get to the heart of Article 18 of the Universal Declaration, which is the freedom of thought, conscience, religion, or belief. And when you think about the Holocaust and you think about really what led up to the Universal Declaration, just this horrific act that shocked the conscience of mankind, the fact that things like the Holocaust are still occurring, the genocide of um, Yazidis and Christians that we see in Iraq today, or if you look at other countries, what's happening. Um, Freedom of religion or belief is really one of the most important human rights. It's a linchpin human right for every other human right. 
and more than any other is in jeopardy of being lost in the world today. So right now you have um, 79% of the world's population living in countries that deny or severely restrict this fundamental freedom. And without the freedom of conscience, it's hard to uphold a moral absolute that human rights matter at all. And so by 2018, our goal is to get 2018 individuals that will take a journey for freedom with us to explore what this freedom means, to um, inspire others to take the journey and to care and to understand why this freedom is so valuable and to help them really over the course of the next 18 months, which began a couple months ago, but you can pick up at any point. Um, but over the course of these 18 steps or 18 months that we're taking this journey to begin to really um, raise up new ambassadors for religious freedom around the world that will say that this freedom matters. I'm a voice for those that don't have a voice and that they will defend it in their community, whether it's popular or not, and whether they agree with the beliefs of another person or not. They recognize that this freedom is fundamental and they want to stand up and defend it. So that's really what's behind this um, journey. And then on December 10th, 2018, we are inviting all of these individuals that have taken the journey that we call ambassadors to join us in Washington, D.C., where we will uh, have a celebration, a, a day to really commemorate the Universal Declaration and its provision for religious freedom. And so when you say take a journey, every month there's different activities that people can do? Right. So it's it's a really fun way of exploring uh, the freedom of religion or belief in a completely different way than maybe what people are used to hearing on the news or um, experiencing. So, you know, most of us go to church or we go to mosque or synagogue. Um, we don't even think about the fact that we have a freedom to do those things. You know, it's just it's um, second nature to us. And yet, as I mentioned, you know, 79 percent of the world, they just don't have that freedom. It's you know, they have to think about what they're going to do before they do it because they could be imprisoned, tortured, abused, trafficked, you know, or even worse for taking that step into their mosque, church, synagogue, etc. cetera. Um, so every month we have a really fun activity for, uh, for people of any age, um, especially youth. We'd love for them to get involved to, to explore what this freedom means. This month, the activity is for them to take a second look at the communities around them. And if you take a look at our website, hardwireglobal.org, you'll see that the image on our website right now for the for the challenge this month is an image in Richmond, Virginia, where we are based of a Native American. And um, it's something that was a historic part of Richmond, but we know there are very few Native Americans left in, in this area or in America anymore. And we want people to think about what is your community going to look like in another hundred years? You know, what did it look like in the past and what will it look like in the future? Will people still have the freedom to worship, the freedom of uh, their beliefs, whether they're Native American um, or if they're Christian, Jew, Muslim, you know, whatever they might be? And what will it take to make sure that that freedom is still there? It will take ambassadors, people that will take this journey. But starting that conversation and even thinking about what your place where you live looked like 100 years ago or 200 years ago and what it will look like in the future is really what we want. We want people to start that conversation and to share it in social media. So this is part that religious freedom is part of that conversation, that when they're having conversations about Charlottesville or about you know, racism or religious tensions or anti-Semitism in America, that they, they realize that 
really, we can have those conversations because we believe in religious freedom. And that's a value that we want to uphold in our society. But if we don't invest in it for the future, then it won't be there. And we'll continue to see intolerant groups, you know, um, really threatening the freedom of others in our communities. And that's not what we want to see. So that's a challenge this month. On Monday, you'll get a challenge. Yeah, I'm looking at, um, you know, your handout here. And I love some of these challenges coming up. Uh, the program itself, I mean, you're talking about the September challenge, but uh, it'll actually be broadcast in October. Of course, people can go back and, and do some of the prior challenges as well and pick up more points. But I love the idea of, of slipping in something into the trick-or-treat basket in, uh, in October. And of course, for Thanksgiving, I love this. Find someone in your community who came to America from a country where they didn't have freedom of conscience and ask them to share their story. And I would say even better, ask them to share it publicly in your congregation, in your church. Absolutely. Um, this is going to be a lot of fun. You know, I'm promoting it, but I need to go ahead and register myself. <laughs> and we register at hardwiredglobal.org journey, right? Yep, slash journey. Okay. And when you sign up, we'll send you a monthly email reminder with what the journey is for the month. Sure. But you can always go on the journey page and there's a blog where you can learn more about the different journey for the month. There's a... Um... Tina, we're out of time. i got to cut you off. Our guest, Tina Ramirez, <laughs> founder and president of Hardwired Global on the web at hardwiredglobal.org. Sponsoring this freedom journey, I hope all of you will go and participate in the freedom journey. Thanks for being with us, Tina. Thank you, Alan. Uh, God bless, and God bless our listeners. As we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk about religious freedom. We help those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at www.churchstate.org. That's churchstate, all one word, churchstate.org. And Freedom's Ring is available on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.